Envision you're standing in front of a massive crowd. You're the one at the podium. What would you want to be recognized for? Who would you think? And what would your message be to those listening? Today, you're going to hear about some of the dreams that my guest had as a little boy growing up in Cincinnati, Ohio, that led him to the biggest podium in all of football, Michigan State Hall of Fame inductee class of 2022 as a linebacker and Super Bowl champion with the New York Giants. Welcome to At The Podium. Hello again, and welcome to At The Podium with Manuel Mesqua. I'm a financial advocate to my clients, CEO, husband, father, and massive sports fan. I'm obsessed with encouraging people to pursue the biggest dreams they've had in their life, going back to when they were a child, and attack that unique vision that they have for themselves. I built the podcast to share stories of some of the highest performers from all walks of life and on all stages. And what we try to do is convert their stories into lessons that help you get closer to the vision you have for your life. Today, I'm joined by two-time All-American linebacker, also a first-team All-American linebacker as a freshman, Big Ten Defensive Player of the Year, Big Ten Champion, Super Bowl Champion, and most recently, a 2022 Michigan State Hall of Fame inductee, Greg Jones. Greg's going to share stories about how he continues to serve and impact others as a mindset and performance coach and trainer. He's a speaker. He's the commissioner of the Under Armour Under the Lights flag football program and a team lead at PIVA, P-I-I-V-A. You're going to want to look into that after our show. Be sure to stick around to listen to a number of the stories and lessons that Greg's going to share with our listeners. Really, really focused on the fact that football is not the only way that he brings value today. It's a really special story. I can't wait for you to hear it and enjoy the conversation with Greg Jones. Folks, welcome to At The Podium with Manuel Amesqua. I am here today with a good friend of mine, Greg Jones. Let me give you a short list of this long resume list that I've got here in front of me. But Michigan State Hall of Fame linebacker inducted in 2022, played at Michigan State from 07 to 10, freshman year first team All-American, junior and senior first team All-American linebacker, Big Ten Defensive Player of the Year in 09, went on to play pro. Three years, Giants, Jags, Titans, played four more years in the CFL, all-star in the CFL, finally decided, hey, maybe it's time to pivot. As we all know, everyone has to pivot at some point and is now leading a top mental and physical sports performance business in the Midwest with the heartbeat of it being here in the great state of Michigan. Greg, welcome to At The Podium. Thank you, man. Oh, you made me feel like amazing, <laughs> dude. You know, we won a Super Bowl in 2011, too. We beat the Patriots, <laughs> dude, dude. I can't believe I know, it. I don't know. Hey, you know what? Scrap the rest. Just Super Bowl <laughs> champion Greg Jones. <laughs> yeah. I've been so blessed. 
I never thought like, you know, because I wanted a national championship. You know, I don't know if you remember in 2010, you know, we were our, one of Rose Bowl, really. We're supposed to go and they end up voting to have Wisconsin go and play in the Rose Bowl and they got destroyed. And we drew Alabama and we got destroyed. So in the Capital One, but yet to have a Big Ten championship and then segue into a Super Bowl my rookie year and make history is just like, I mean, it, it's it's mind-blowing. Like still as you as I think about it and now the Hall of Fame stuff and whew, it's, uh, football makes things go fast, that's for sure. I bet. So Cincinnati, Ohio native, it all started there. Tell us a little bit about one of the most interesting or funny memories that you have from your childhood that are connected to the sport? How I got into football, I actually had to go against my mom. I took a flyer home. I got into the car. I tanned the flyer to her. She says, no, you're too small. You're going to get hurt. So then I wait. My dad worked. He's a bartender waiter. I wait till he gets off work late at night. And I knew if he gets to the room, like it's it's over. So I waited by the door. I gave him the flyer. I told him exactly what my mom said. He said, that's okay, son. Next day, he took me to play it against sports, bought me my equipment, best we could at that time, and he snuck me on to the field for practice. So I come <laughs> off, I dominate the practice, whatever, and I turn around, and guess who's waiting on the fences? My mom's waiting for me. Mama Jones. She said, you went behind my back. I said, I did. She's like, she's like okay, but if your grades fail, if your grades drop or your grades fail, right? We're done. And uh, now, to this day, I'm 34 years old. She still is saying, you think you're going to try, try out again? She still wants me to play <laughs> to this day. She's been my biggest supporter. So many life lessons like I learned then. I was the bigger kid also, too, at the time. I was the one that had to run extra. I was on a fruit diet, you know, trying yeah. to make weight. And then I got to college and pros. I'm like the considered the smaller linebacker now. It's just very interesting. But yeah, my childhood in sports, I had eight sacks in my first game. My dad called me the sack master. He had a, a trophy made for me that he made. I'm not lying. I will never, ever forget. It was Easter Sunday. And I had a white suit on for Easter. And I had the suit on and he had a trophy. And he's like, I want you, this is your trophy. Like either you had a, a, a great first game. And I had to, I had to take a picture in that trophy. I get that to you to, to kind of do, um, to put up for everybody. But you yeah, got man, to. my childhood in football, man, was, was wild. Was inner city Cincinnati too. There was a lot of things happening there. So football was the one thing as a kid that I could find as like a home away from home. I'm an only child. So I didn't have a lot of friends, but I knew sports, right, was the way for me to start to have some friendship. And now I have people that in sport, I call now my brothers. They're like family to me. And, you know, I stood in my wedding the whole nine. But yeah, that story, that first day and that first game was amazing, man. And I will never, ever forget that. And now I, I go back and I visit and I, you know, I've done some things, donated to the team, stuff like that as well. Avondale Warriors is the name. Avondale um, Warriors. And, and I wore That's a shout out to Avondale Warriors. Warriors. That's right. <laughs> A1, baby. And I wore number 75. And I took a picture. Dang, yeah. That's nasty. I'm not too crazy big in like the number thing, but I remember they gave me 75. And I'm like, man, why well, don't get a 75? And then one day I looked up, you know, Gregory has seven letters in it and Jones has five letters in it. Yes. And I was like, dude, this is meant to be. That's right. So sweet. You know what I mean? But yeah, man, my childhood in football, even now when I go into a field, fresh cut grass, 
freshly painted lines. Yeah. Like, I feel like I'm eight years old again, going out again. I love that. Yeah. And you're passing that down to your boys now. Yeah. So I have a daughter, Ava, as well. She's right. eight years old. And I have my oldest boy, Maximus. He's just now started playing right now. They end up going, they lost two games, and we end up losing in the championship against a really good Marysville team. We're in the HFL right now, and it's amazing. People are coming up to me like, just like dead, just like dead. And, but just like dead, though, he works his butt off. I, I can honestly say that like he wants it more than I do. And so I'm happy that he's kind of adapted that. That's though. great. And then I have a, a little three-year-old boy who just destroys my house one day at a time. <laughs> you know, I've never seen so many crushed Cheez-Its in my, in my life. How old is Maximus? He's seven. Okay, that's Max right. Is seven. Okay, yeah, okay. Eight, seven, three. Good for you and Mandy, man. Thank Congratulations. Thank I've you. seen pictures and yeah, I mean, Thank they're you. incredibly yeah. healthy, happy children, man. That's yeah. what matters, right? Oh, man. Thank God. Where is the Sack Master Trophy today? It's in Cincinnati. The basement kind of became a trophy room. Of course it did. All parents do that. I, I, went yes. home, I went home to my dad's first anniversary and my mom lives in Griffith, Indiana now. And you go into the basement and like every wall is lined with trophies or pictures and pictures of like our ex-girlfriends from like childhood. And I'm like, mom. I know. I know. I know. <laughs> so the Sackmaster trophies there though. The Sackmaster the trophies there. They were like, hey, what do you want to do? You're moving out. You know, mm-hmm. what do you want to keep? And then and they, we want to keep some things. So they kept all the childhood trophies. All my Michigan State jerseys, game worn, are all at home. The cleats I played in the Super Bowl are in are also there as well too. I have the jersey and everything else, the ring, all that stuff yeah. um, here. But but yeah, they have all the childhood through college stuff because that was like, you know, a really fast moving time. They have all my high school jerseys yeah. and everything too. So it's all there. Good for you. One more thing I wanted to talk about. The ring. So all the times we've been together, I've noticed you never wear it. And then there are other people in the world who every time I'm with them, they have it on. And I'm not saying which is right or wrong, but tell me, tell me about why you never wear it. (laughs) I have two things on that. One is actually funny. It was, it was 2014 or 2015. I had a buddy who was down on his luck and was like, hey, man, can I crash until I get some yeah. things right? So we did. And he played with me, but he had mm. a ring. Mm-hmm. And we were going out. It was Roll Oak, okay? 2014, Roll Oak. <laughs> and I'm like, hey, like, let me call the guy, make sure we're all set, ready to go. He's like, great. We don't got to call nobody, man. We want a Super Bowl. I said, yeah, in 2011, buddy. I said, mm-hmm. nobody's going to remember. And sure enough, right, he wears it, whatever. The guy looks, the guy liked the ring, but he looks at it. He's like, dude, you still have to wait in line. And I looked at him, I said, like, you got to listen to me on these things. So one, I realized that once it's done, it's done. And I'm not saying that, like, I'm not happy about the moment. I don't have great memories or anything like that. But once it's done, it's done. You have that ride for about one or two years, and then it's done. Then the other thing, too, for me, at least, I don't know about some other guys, I'm stressed, okay? Because normally when you're wearing a ring, like, it's heavy. It's super, (laughs) super valuable. It's more value than it's worth than money. Right? Yes. And I'm like, I don't want to risk, okay? You know what I mean? Like losing this thing or yeah. something coming out. Because once you're out and about, like we move fast, you know? Yeah, so once right. you're out and about, like you set something down, you give it to somebody, like, you know what I mean? Try it on, all that stuff. Yeah. Like, and I've had, a, I've already had a couple of those. I do a lot of speaking as well too. Sure. My schools and stuff. And, you know, I go and, and mentor kids. And I have had a couple of times where I'm like, oh my goodness, like, yeah. where's my ring at? 
it's just a stressful thing, though. And then at the same time, too, I don't want people to think that this is my only value, right? I, I think it is. It is part of. I love that. It's part of my value. Don't get me wrong. My knowledge, where I've been, the struggles, and now where I'm at right now, it is part of my value. It's not my only value, right? That love I that. bring to the table, and so. That's why, like, I don't need to wear that a lot. And as a matter of fact, because people treat you differently, like, once they see the ring. That's another thing, too. When I wear the ring, I get treated a lot differently. When I don't wear the ring, I get treated, like, more like a civilian. But it's cool <laughs> because I want to get to know some people that's just Greg, not Greg the Hall of Fame. Super, you know that's what I mean? I don't, you know, I don't wear my Hall of Fame jacket either. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, that's Wait, you're not wearing that? But my point being is I don't wear the ring because I wanted to be more than that. I want to meet people on a different level. I'm a huge fan of our friends at Sport of Kings out in L.A. And as a listener of this show, you've got to check them out. Sport of Kings is an L.A.-based clothing brand that was started by two surfers and longtime friends. The story's incredible. They carry a wide range of premium tees, hoodies, sweats, caps, and more. And they're designed in-house folks made locally in Los Angeles and Orange County. Samantha and Ava and Atlas say, Dad, you're either in a blue suit and white shirt or sport of kings. And they're right. That's about it. Don't forget, Sporta Kings is a homegrown brand focused on quality over quantity. And if you go check them out online at S-O-K-F-Y. So basically, Sporta Kings Forever Young, S-O-K-F-Y dot com. And use the promo code PODIUM. You'll receive 20% off your entire order. Again, that's S-O-K-F-Y dot com. And use the promo code Podium at checkout for 20% off. And now back to the show. I love it. Two of the things that you said that to me were just golden tickets right now was once it's done, it's done. And I know that you don't mean like you stop trying at life. It's just this is done. And I'm moving on to the next yes, level, yes, right? Yes. And then the second thing you share, which I love even more, is that this one achievement, while maybe it took tens of thousands of hours to get to, mm-hmm. it's simply still only part mm-hmm. of my value, mm-hmm. only a portion of my value. That's right. It's not all my value. That's right. I love that. What a great way to really start and open this up. I want to take a second to pivot because I love unpacking this story in players' lives. How did you get to Michigan State? All right. So I was, one, I was a two-star athlete. In high school. In high school. Yeah, that's right. Right. Rivals, 247. Rivals has a ranking system, one-star, meaning you might make a college team to five-star, meaning that you're going to play professional football without a doubt. Like I said, I was a two-star going in, so I was deemed with like very little college potential at all going in, which obviously I didn't believe, but that's what the ranking said. And so we ended up playing South Carolina Burns in the Kirk Herbstreet Classic that he used to run in Ohio. It's basically Ohio versus the world type of situation. Okay. So we're playing like all these teams. Love it. And we end up drawing the number one team in the nation at this point in time. They had beaten every team by 70 points. We get to the game. The starting quarterback's name is Willie Corn. He ended up playing at Clemson for a little bit. 
last time I looked up, he was a college coach. All the media was on him. Like he was that guy. But I still got to thank Willie because he set a stage for me that was just so beautiful. But we end up getting to the game. The game's on ESPN. Okay. You're in high school. I'm in high school. (laughs) It's a big game. By the way, folks, you see high school football on ESPN now regularly. It's because there's 71 ESPN channels. This did not exist a decade ago. We end up drawing that number one team. We get into the game. I end up having seven tackles at two sacks. I blocked a field goal. Of course you did. And I had an interception. Of course you did. So we lost by one point. What? The deciding factor, they had to kick it to win it. The ball went over the uh, upright, and it was really hard to tell, but it ended up going out, and they called it in, and they won the game. And Kurt came up to me, and I'll send you the picture that I have afterwards, but Kurt came up to me and apologized. Young man, you played a great game, all that stuff. I doubt he even remembers the story. Maybe he does, maybe he doesn't. It was so long ago. That was my senior, so I needed that game badly. So I literally took just that one film back then, okay? We put it in a compact disc. (laughs) (laughs) That's That's a CD, CD. okay, for some of you who don't know it. And we sent that film out, and hopefully it didn't get scratched, by the way, right? Because it it wouldn't work if it gets scratched, right? (laughs) Remember that time. But anyhow, we sent that out, came back. I ended up uh, at the next camp I went to that summer, I ended up getting offered by Minnesota. At this point in time, I had like Akron, I had Air Force. I had a few others. At this time, I was kind of playing a, a game with Notre Dame. Didn't know if I was going to pull a trigger there. Charlie Weiss was the head coach at the time. Uh, yeah. And he was thinking about pulling the trigger on me, but didn't end up doing it. But yeah. anyhow, so I committed to Minnesota. Glenn Mason, he's a broadcast now for the Big Ten yes. Network. I met him. We, we flew to Minnesota, official visit. Great. And I committed. Right after that week, me and my mom talked, and I was like, Do I want to play in the Big Ten. This is my best opportunity. They were going to redshirt me, and I was a little bit hot about that, but I was like, you know what, though? I know the guys. They seem like good guys. They're going to teach me the right way, and you know what I mean? I'm, I'm going to end up playing here. I'm, I'm going to start. I knew I was going to start there. I just turned down an offer from UC, from Coach D, because I want to play in the Big Ten. Now, Coach D's story will tell you that I turned it down because of the Mall of America. That is not true, okay? He said that my Hall of Fame speech. Mall of America. He said that my Hall of Fame speech. Buy some old Navy shorts. Right. He said the Hall of Fame thing. And then he also tried to say it was the girl I was there at the time, which was not really true at all. But anyhow, so Glenn Mason, they go play Texas Tech in a bowl game, okay? And they have a wide receiver by the name of Michael Crabtree oh. at Texas Tech. Minnesota is winning the game. It is 37-3, I think it is, going into the third quarter. 37-3. Michael Crabtree went off for four or five touchdowns, right, by himself. It was a legendary bowl history, yeah. whatever. Minnesota loses the game. I had walked out. I was watching the game with another recruit at the time from Ohio who was committed to Minnesota. We walked out like this game's done, right? He calls me, hey, bro, we lost. I'm like, what do you mean? We said we lost. Next thing you know, the media, all this stuff is going off. Glenn Mason's been let go. My phone is ringing off the hook. And so I decommitted because the guy coming in ended up being Tim Brewster. He came from Harvard. He liked me and wanted me, but like I didn't know him and yes. I didn't feel comfortable. Yeah, it's not you know the same. I mean? It's not the same. The, the relationship's not there. So I opened up my recruitment. And at the same time, John L. Smith had just been let go from Michigan State University. Mm-hmm. Coach D got to Michigan State. I'm no longer committed to Minnesota. And now I am talking to 
Coach D at Michigan State and Coach Mike Tressel, who was linebacker coach for all those years. And and he came and Coach D sat us down, sat me down. He said, listen, I'm taking two guys from Cincinnati. He says, you and Garrick Selleck, who was Brent Selleck's younger brother. Garrick played for the 49ers for about 10 years. He said, I'm taking you two guys. And sure enough, so he took us two. We go to Michigan State and – um, wow. And I committed. So that is how I got to Michigan State. Yeah, that's how I got to Michigan State. What is one of the early stories between you and Coach D that you'd say, hey, man, this is when I knew this was the perfect, the right decision for me? I want to say the relationship he had with my parents. Like, it wasn't like it was a normal recruiting relationship where, like, yeah, I'm going to take your stuff down and say hi there. No, it was like they talked a lot. They had a better relationship <laughs> going in than I thought we had, you know. The relationship mm-hmm. that they had from a coach-to-player standpoint, he saw a vision for me that I couldn't see for myself, and it was bigger, right? It was bigger than just me. Like, I just wanted to be a spot on a team. And that was huge for me because I didn't see myself as – a captain at that time. I just wanted to prove that I could play in the Big Ten. And Coach D saw me as a leader on that team. And I didn't see myself as a leader at the on the team at that time because I was still learning and trying not to get lost at Michigan State. And I got guys like the Caleb Thornhills, Travis Keys, and Ashton Henderson and, and Otis Wiley, like like still showing me the ropes and where to go, how to do things, what to say, what not to say. So I have all these guys showing me a ropes, but Coach D saw me as a leader amongst them. Not of them, but, you know, to to be with them so shoulder to shoulder. And all of those guys have become my mentors and friends and, and, and brothers, really. But Coach D, our relationship, his vision right for me is what propelled me, you know. And, and, and that vision grew because I ended up, and again, to his point, I ended up leading the team in tackles four years in a row. And so he saw it, like he knew that. He saw that in me. And I wasn't even, I was out position. I actually switched positions. I didn't play linebacker to my senior year of high school, but I was actually a 190 pound defensive end, right? With my hand in the dirt. And they're like, dude, you're too fast to keep your hand in the dirt. Like, let's stand you up. And then Coach D was like, I like you standing up. And so when I got to Michigan State, Started an outside linebacker, had 76 tackles, freshman All-American. Sophomore year, I had over 100 tackles. So he saw me. And it wasn't like I was fighting or I had to argue for it. It was like, it was very clear. Like Greg is, without I doubt, getting to the ball before, more than anybody else. And for some guys, it was hard. I'll be honest with you. That probably was the hardest was that there were older guys and I was yeah. kind of taking their spots. And that was tough because these same dudes were showing me, right, like how to do something and how to act and be a college student, let alone be a college athlete, you know? And so it was, that was tough. That's so gold to me because it talks about something that I've heard Benny Fowler say a number of times. And I've heard other guys coming out of that Michigan State program talk about is, you know, being a pro, just always being a pro and being a great teammate. Mm -hmm. You played with some of the best teammates in all of Michigan State history. And I love the example you just gave of here are guys that I'm jeopardizing their position, I'm jeopardizing their success in their junior and senior year, and they're still showing up for me and being a great teammate, great teacher, great mentor. I mean, picking me up, all who, this stuff. Who are one or two of the older guys on the team that just to this day, you're like, man, I would not have had the success I had without oh, these people my in my gosh. life. Oh, my gosh. You're going to get me in trouble. 
Give me the first one that came to mind when I said that. Just give me the first one. I'm going to go with Caleb Thornhill. Yep. Caleb's doing incredible things. I mean, I follow him. Hey, Caleb, this is your shout out right now. I I need to be in PAC. Well, hey, I've messaged Caleb like three times and I can't even get him to respond. I'm at the like hook him through Julius Thomas or someone else. But Caleb, that's my shout out to you. Come on the podcast. PAC. So tell me about Caleb because you're not the first person to mention Caleb. Caleb, when I got to Michigan State, Coach Tressel, like, I kind of could feel it, like, 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 take Greg Ritchie type of thing. You know yeah. what I mean? And <laughs> like forced uh, you as the yeah, little brother. Yeah, he's, like, he's like, just take him with you. They were like, hey, he's going to get some playing time. So just just take him with you. Love it. And so then Caleb, and he's like, hey, man, jump in the car. I'm going to show you some things. So you would drive me around. Hey, this is where you're going to be staying at. This is your class. And so Caleb was showing me around. And, and the way he showed me around was like, do like, come in, do this, this is what you need to do. At the same time, right, he would help me prepare as well, too. So yeah. the story I have with Caleb, on my first ever series, my second play ever, we're playing UAB, and we have a call where I'm supposed to, like, we get in the game, and he calls it, and it's a blitz, and I'm supposed to blitz, right? And I couldn't hear him. I literally, no matter what he said, I knew what I was supposed to do, but I literally couldn't hear him. And I said, what's the call? And he's like, we're blitzing. And I said, what's the call? He's like, just run in there and get him. And I was like, okay, cool. (laughs) I'm running and I jump over the running back. And my first ever tackle was a sack on a quarterback from UAB who eventually became a big time singer. Sam Hunt. Sam Hunt? Yes. Yes. (laughs) Yes. Do you believe that? So Sam Hunt, UAB. Sam Hunt, UAB. That's, that's right. it. That, that's my first sack. All right, Sam, you remember my man, Greg Jones? I hope so. <laughs> I'll come out and support, dude. I love it. Yeah. I love it. Yes. I love that. And you know what? You're not the first person who brings up Caleb as somebody who's just always showed up as a professional, as a great teammate and a strong leader. Talk to us about who hit the hardest back in those days. I would say the biggest cracks and bangs I saw was J.U. Kulkrick. J.U. Kahammer, bro. Did he play at the next level? He played for the Bills. What? What position? Running back and fullback. Wow. He was a guy that really hit hard. We had some linemen, you know, they hit hard. A guy I want to go on, son, his name is Justin Kershaw. You haven't met Justin yet. Another Ohio kid. Uh, he has a, uh, he just started a, a company where he makes snacks, very healthy snacks, man. I hope he's doing well. Justin uh, with Kershaw. Kers- Justin Kershaw. That's it. He's a great dude, but he's another guy that, that could bang and did a lot for me in my time at college. He definitely cleaned me up and made sure I had a lot of running room to, to make tackles. Love it. Favorite college game? Oh my. The game that you're like, man, if I just played this game every game of my entire career. I'm definitely picking a win. My favorite college game, I'm going to have to go with... Uh, Wisconsin, it was at home. So that was 2009. What made that game so special to you? It was my junior year. I was having a lot of hype at the time after my freshman year going All-American. And it was a big game against big dudes. And Mm -hmm. I remember I was so beat up and I was so bruised, but we won. And Brett Swinson kicked the game-winning field Mm -hmm. goal. And I remember being so beat up. I remember that was like my personal badge of honor Mm -hmm. that like these are the biggest and some of the strongest people in our conference. And I was able to hang with them. Now I'm beat up. I'm bruised. We played on Saturday. So that Sunday, Monday was like rough. 
getting back in, but I remember that being my true badge of honor. I mean, don't get me wrong. There's just so many. Yeah, I mean, look. Because, like, you could do all the Michigan games. I never lost to Michigan at Michigan. Three and one, baby. Okay? <laughs> Let's pivot. NFL, take me to draft night. Where were you? Who were you with? And then take us through that night. It was somewhat bittersweet. Don't get me wrong. It's not that bittersweet because I had a great year. had 465 career tackles. Even today, if you look it up. I'm top 10 in, in FBS, uh, Division One in tackles. So 465 career tackles. I had like 50 less tackles or whatever it was than I did before, but we had more wins. Okay. I had interceptions, like all this stuff. Like I did some other things outside just having tackles sure. because also at the same time, my team got better too. Okay. Now, with that being said, I had 100 and something tackles. There's backers out of Alabama who having like 80 and 90 tackles. And I'm like, but people are still making it a big deal that I had less than what I did in 2009. So that was a thing. My weight, people were like challenging me on my weight. Like you got bigger. I was about 238, 239. And I guess people didn't like the way it looked or what, it was a lot going on. Combine I ran like the 476 was the official time. So now I wasn't like a blazer. But I mean, I was right in the middle of the pack with everybody else as far as the 40 time. My bench was pretty much right there with everybody else for the most part. It wasn't like 45 reps or anything like that. I don't think really anybody had that much out of linebackers. The most were linebackers, like 30-something. I had 20, 22 or something like mm-hmm. that, 23. I can't remember. My numbers were pretty much right on par. So you're amped up. You're excited for I'm draft. ramped up. Yeah, I, had a, I thought I had a really good interview with like the Jacksonville Jaguars. Yeah. I interviewed with Sean Payton at the time when he was with New Orleans. Mm-hmm. All these things. I'm thinking I'm going in like the first few rounds or whatever. That night we're at the house and it was like a movie. Like all these random people are coming up to me and they're like, hey, man. Hey. And they will start the conversations <laughs> like this. Okay. <laughs> who, who invited? Wait. Mama Jones, who invited all these random people? But these are the words that still to this day blow my mind. They say, hey, you don't remember me, but. When you were real small, you were small. I used to watch you, and I used to. And I'm yeah. like, how did you get the address? There's probably crazier stories out there, but in mine, like that blew me away because I'm like, dude, I never known you. Never came to a game, yeah, right? Because you know, when in a college game, after a game, there's only so many people waiting outside that tunnel for you, and it was my mom and my dad at most of the games, right? The girl I dated right before me and Manny started dating. And my couple of my cousins, and that was it. Yeah. Right. So when you do a draft party and the house is full, like I said, I grew up in the city. It's a very small place. Like, I yeah. mean, no joke. So imagine all these people in one TV, right? I have those pictures too for you. For you I guys. want that picture. I have, I have, I want it. I have those pictures for you. So I, I knew I wasn't going first round. I knew I wasn't going for it. My agent was like, dude, like, he's like, he said, just, he said, just in case, watch, you never know. Yeah. He says, but you should, but second day, early third day for sure. So second round comes, the second day, whatever. And that's when everybody started coming over, right? Yeah. And my name didn't get called. And so I'm like, man, like, God, like, no way I made it this yes. far. I was like, I know the guys. I've seen the guys that get their name called. I yes. know I'm better than these dudes, <laughs> right? And I'm, and I'm not, and it's like, no shade, no, guys, I, like, they're out there. It's no, no shade. But my career has spoke for itself. We played some of the same teams. Yes. Right? I know I had yeah. a better, you know. Yeah, it was a real schedule. I mean, right. Michigan State played a real, real schedule. schedule. And so I'm like, I'm not, you know, no shade, like I said, again, to anybody out there, like, you know, all respect. 
And then on the third day, and this was, which was really cool because my mom, my dad, my girlfriend then, my wife now, were all there. And I get my name called to New York Giants. Sixth round, 185 pick. That's it. And Tom Coughlin's like, hey, we believe in you. That's so special. Mark, who's now one of the directors for the XFL, was one of the guys who also called me. And he, he drafted me. And as long as, like, like I said, with Tom Coughlin, the Mara, Steve Tisch, right? Always still thankful for them for the opportunity to, mm-hmm. you know, change my life. Mm-hmm. And Coach Coughlin got on the phone as I like, do. He said, don't worry about what number you got, Jeff. He said, you're going to make an impact here. And so I ended up starting the first like six, seven, eight games going into the NFL. But going back to the draft, though, man, it was a whirlwind, right? I'd never seen that much money in my life. Like, yeah. you know what I mean? Like, yeah. And then to top it off, we had a lockout that year. Oh, man, that's right. We had a lockout. So there was talks like the NFL is getting canceled. But I'm paying attention to what the Veterans Center on ESPN, like, there's going to be a leak. Like, there's going to be a leak 10 million percent. It's a matter of when. And they kept saying, stay ready, stay ready, stay ready. So I didn't know what to expect. I'm doing whatever I can. I'm going over here to sign autographs because I have no job because I thought I was going to the NFL. Yeah. So I'm going, like, over here to sign autographs. I'm doing that. You know what I mean? Like. I'm doing whatever I can. I'm training. I'm I'm substitute teaching. You know what I mean? I do whatever I can. And then all of a sudden I get a call and they're like, hey, like, you know, you're really going to take off here. And so I go to New York and I had a good camp and I ended up starting at that first game. But yeah, man, the draft was a crazy experience, man. I never, there's nothing like that. I don't think there's anything, no, no resume. It's a life resume that they're putting on the line and they're going to take it or they won't. You know, it's, it's wild. I love hearing so much about all these micro wins that you've had throughout your life and all these really tremendous achievements as well, right? Micro wins and massive achievements. But you fought a little bit of adversity. You had what was a good rookie year. I mean, you had a value. You made an impact. You had real stats. And then you got wave right before the next season. Take us through that. It's not so much about why it happened. But talk to us about how you manage that moment of adversity, because I have to believe from yes. what I've heard, it was very unexpected. You know, going in, I had a decent camp, too, before I got waived, you know what I mean, those preseason games. And so I thought I had a really good shot. I, I think, too, my relationship with my coach at the time, to be honest with you, and like we did not have a good relationship, you know what I mean? It was tough. And I don't know why. And we've reconciled since then. So we've talked and stuff. It was like... He's playing me because he had to versus what he wanted to. You know what I mean? Sure. So I kind of had that gut feeling that, like, I was like, this probably might be, you know what I mean? I might be going to a new team anyways, though. So, but the diversity was just strange because you don't know yeah. what's going to happen. I got the CFL at the time. There's no XFL, no USFL. But I got the CFL sending me some decent numbers, you know? Mm-hmm. And I'm like, man. And my agent's like, just wait. So I wait, 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 wait. I end up doing a tryout. <laughs> the whole journey to get to Jacksonville was crazy. So I ended up doing a, a bunch of trials, Detroit, the Panthers, and Carolina, and then waiting for a bunch of calls. And then I ended up doing one with Jacksonville, waiting, waiting, waiting. And then I go to the UFL, the Las Vegas Locomotives. Man. And I just won a Super Bowl. And they told me, you're going to come off the bench. I'm like, are you serious right now? I'm like, because the two guys in front of me, this is their first time being a professional athlete in general. So I'm like, wait a minute. So I'm the veteran here. Any ways, they give them the first half of the game. They gave me the second half of the game. I had 10 tackles in one half. And Mark, 
Duffner, who is now the linebacker coach for the Cincinnati Bengals, he said, Greg, when he was at Jacksonville and he got me, he says, we saw, I saw the film. He said, I never see anybody have that many tackles in one half. And and that's when I got the call to go to Jacksonville. So I ended up going to Jacksonville right after I got released. So I was out of work. I didn't work for like eight weeks. So I was training hardcore for eight weeks. And I got picked up and I was with the Jacksonville Jaguars for the remainder of the season. So two more seasons in the NFL, four more seasons in the CFL. When did you know it was time to pivot from being a professional athlete? I started thinking about it the very day my daughter was born. Ava Marie Jones. When Ava Marie was born, I remember literally looking at her, holding her, and thinking football just became like really, really small right now. And at the same time, though, I'm making a way to also provide for her too, you know? And so growing up in inner city and watching guys and girls grow up without their parents around Mm -hmm. um, as often as you would like them to be, you know, Mm -hmm. I mean, I don't know, everybody's situation is different, but from Mm -hmm. what I saw, I'm like, okay, I need to have an impact that's well stronger than that. And be the impact that my parents had. I mean, I was always with my mom or my dad. Like, you know, yeah. maybe not always together sure. because my dad was working or whatever, but I was always with one of them. Yes. And I understood that dynamic. Like, it's not because they didn't love me or anything like that. But if my mom is here, that means my dad's working and vice versa. And I understood that, you know, as long as I yeah. had somebody in my corner. But I knew then that I wanted to have a life with my daughter. Mm-hmm. I knew that, like, okay, I'm mm-hmm. thinking about other things other than football because football is only for a certain amount of time anyways, yeah. right? So as much as I wanted that to last, it was tough. It was it's really hard. And most guys decide to just stay in Canada, right, or yeah. retire and come back. It was a hard decision to make, to be honest with you, because when I left, a lot of coaches were calling me, same thing, like, dude, like, are you sure you're done? Because mm-hmm. we think you can still play. Like, do you want just a better deal the whole nine? And I was real close to coaching. I will say that too. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Coaching close to home. But I knew I wanted to be my own business. Like I wanted to be a business owner. I didn't, that, that's what my let's, passions let's, are. So, but since playing professional sports, I mean, it's like you've given your life to coaching, mentoring, and pouring yes. into others around yes. mindset and physical performance. And I love it. You're the commissioner of the Under Armour's Under the Lights Flag Football Program, tournament director for Legacy Football Organization, director of programming for Positive U Life Coaching, and the team lead at PIVA. Let's make PIVA the last topic, right? Because the last impression is the lasting impression. Let's make PIVA that. Tell us about PIVA and everything that you're really excited to be tapping into right now with them. CEO is Robert Hart. Rob uh, is a great dude. I found Rob online during the COVID time, and I had a lot of athletes that were looking for more mental toughness, getting ready for their upcoming season that they that was pending, right? A lot of kids didn't know if they were going to have a season, right? They ended up here in the state of Michigan, ended up starting a little bit later. And a lot of parents and players are asking for mental toughness stuff. So I'm, I'm, I don't know what they're looking for, but I know I can't be there with them all the time. So I'm mm-hmm. like, man, what can I do? So I'm looking, I come across Piva and at the time he had the book, all that stuff. He had done that before, but he's like, Hey, I'm coming out with an app where you can log in on your phone. I'm like, man, I was like, cool. Like, can I see it? He's like, well, it's not ready yet. And okay. so, and so months went by. I was like, it's not ready yet. And eventually it got done and I had so many ideas for it. He was like, dude, I want you to come and I want you to work with me and and help do this. And I want you to be the football guy. And I do football, soccer, tennis, pickleball, um, you name it. 
I'm kind of have my hands on a lot of stuff. Rob definitely keeps me busy with that, which I love. But Piva, you know, we do awareness meditation, visualization. We do compassion training as well, too. Wow. We also come with a biofeedback reader as well, too. So we help players not only just be great people off the field, but we also help them get into the zone when they're in the game. Mm-hmm. So the biofeedback reader helps them be able to control that. So that way they can get into the zone right faster and stay in the zone longer. So basically, if you're having like a really good first quarter, it doesn't stop in just the first quarter. Right. Right. You can train your brain and your mind to be able to stay in that float state for a period of a whole game, depending on how much level of training that you want to go to. But our core program is eight weeks. It's very digestible. You're talking about like five-minute meditations or 10-minute. It's all on their own schedule. They can log in anywhere. There's Wi-Fi, tablet, phone, computer. And a thing that we're really starting to see is that the body awareness that Mm -hmm. players are starting to have, like we're working with some really top tennis players as well too in Canada and they're like dude like I've never been able to feel like so aware of where my body's at right now and so that's the segue that I'm trying to help create with football is to create that body awareness that you can have in football like and you can think about the different angles and especially in a contact sport like we have being aware of where your body is and then on top of that where your mind is at and then okay dude you can have a quarterback who just lights out for four quarters and obviously, like a linebacker, right? He's just on the whole time. Mm-hmm. Like you think about that, Luke Keekley, like how he's yeah, able. The, oh my god! Think about okay. Yeah. So if in 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 our what we've seen is five to twenty percent in gains, right? So if you have twenty percent more tackles, mm-hmm. right? How would that not help you, right? Getting, Change the outcome of the entire game. How about for your team? How about your career? If you're yeah. if you're on the brink and you're on a contract year, and you need that extra twenty percent. Right. Like that could change your career. Right. That can get you more money. So we're trying. That's our big initiative about what we want. But it's it's without a doubt changing lives. And then, like I said, on the compassion training, a guy we work with, his name is Zach Moss. He plays running back for the coach now. Okay. And he's like, yeah. dude, he says, I've I've been in the zone. I'm able to come home. My wife said I'm a better husband when I'm home. I'm able to leave my work at the facility. Don't get me wrong. You still think about some things, but not to the point where like it's overbearing us when like yeah. we're out and things like that. So like talking to Zach and hearing him saying it and the benefits that he's received of it, man, has been like so monumental for me. And I'm like, dude, this has to be to the masses. And that's our big goal. And that's why I'm so hot about it because I really believe that we can change people for the better and not just for one part of their life and sport, but like going into it and other things they want to do. I love it. Tell our listeners where can they find more information yes. on Piva. Yeah, P-I-I-V-A dot com. That's Piva dot com. Please go on there. There's a number to call uh, that actually goes to either me or Rob as well, too. But you can you can literally go on it and get signed up, ready to go. Uh, we have different options. We even have options that if you do want to talk to somebody personal, you can set up some one-on-one Zooms and stuff like that, too. We can set those up, and we do that as well, it. too. And we're working with the colleges and, pro- and professional teams as well, too. And if people want to keep up with you on everything that you're doing yes. around mindset, performance, and even all the fin- yes. philanthropic endeavors yes. that you and Mandy are really passionate about today and your yeah. family are, where can people follow you or find you online? So on Instagram, it's just GJ Speed and Agility. On Twitter, it's Greg Jones 5353. And same thing on TikTok, it's Greg Jones 5353. 
I mix it up. You see on my on my Instagram and stuff, you'll see a little bit more of everything. But on Twitter and TikTok, you'll see a lot more of me training and working with kids yeah. and getting information out about PIVA. I love it. And look, before we go, I promised Atlas I would do this. Yes. He's ready to get back into linebacker camp with yes, you. My, yes. My, my 12, 13 year old son yes. is going into his eighth I was just about to ask you about that too. Country Day. Yes. And he wants to stay in that middle linebacker position. And so we're super pumped, super thankful yes. to my guy, Greg Jones. Yes. And look, I know I opened this up the wrong way. I should have just <laughs> been like, hey, my, my good friend, Greg Jones, Super Bowl champ. <laughs> Mic drop. There you but go. But no, my guy, Greg Jones, like, look, he's a leader. Uh, in his personal professional life. Thank you. He was an absolute assassin leader on the football field. Uh, at that time, man, I was in my late 20s, early 30s, watching you grow up through college. And so I remember a lot of those games vividly. Michigan State had one of the best teams in the country then under Coach D'Antonio. So Greg Jones, Super Bowl champ, Michigan State linebacker, Hall of Fame, first team All-American, three times started it off his freshman year hailing from the great city of Cincinnati, Ohio. And I'm sending a massive shout out and a lot of love to Mr. and Mrs. Jones. You have a very special son. It was a privilege to have you today, my brother. Thank you so much for having me, brother. I appreciate you. you, man. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks so much for listening. And thanks to my guest, Greg Jones. Follow Greg on Twitter or Instagram. Twitter is at Greg Jones, 5353. And Instagram is GJ Speed and Agility. If you like what you heard today, please be sure to follow, rate, and review at the podium on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. And you can follow the show on Instagram, YouTube, and TikTok at podium underscore podcast. At podium underscore podcast. Post about the show on social and tag us for a shout out. Also, consider telling a friend about the show. Friend of friend remains the best way for us to get the word out about our guests, their stories, and the podcast in general. I hope this conversation served as a great reminder that with hard work and sacrifice, you can make it to any podium you envision. See you next time.